Hello everybody, welcome along to a bonus episode, the very first bonus episode that we've ever done because we're excited. Uh, so for anyone who may be listening for the very first time, you have stumbled upon the wondrous world of Dan and Frankie go to Hollywood. I'm Dan. And I'm Frankie. I can verify that and we are here today or tonight, wherever you're listening, to discuss a little movie that uh, Frankie stumbled upon recently and forced me to watch. No, she didn't. I did it of my own accord. Uh, called Prisoners from 2013, directed by Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> hey. Say it properly as well. Uh, Villeneuve. Okay, Dennis Villeneuve. Oh. Is that better? Come on, it's spelt like another word so you, Denis yeah. for those who oh, like don't act like a five-year-old <laughs> yeah okay fine I'm gonna keep calling him Dennis but anyway um so yeah so we, we've just I mean this movie's been out for 11 years now and we've only just come across it what's wrong with us I do not know what was going on in 2013 but I do mm. not remember ever hearing about this film unless I just heard the title and thought it was something else well, yeah, I, I kind of had that as well. Um, so, in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, here's the thing. If you if you have come from our uh, episode of, of our regular podcast where we have talked about it a little bit, uh, there is gonna be, we're going to be treading over some familiar ground here uh, because, obviously, there are going to be people who have only just come across this episode and are like, oh, we want to hear about prisoners. We don't care what else Dan and Frankie have to say. Um, so, yeah, I did have a little uh, mix-up, if you will, where another movie from 2013 called Escape Plan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, came out. And I didn't pay enough attention to either that or Prisoners. And over the years, the two films have merged into one. And so I thought there was a movie called Prisoners, directed by Dennis, <laughs> um, starring Schwarzenegger and Stallone, uh, where they've got to break out of a prison because, you know, they're prisoners. And then, yeah, last week Frankie watched Prisoners and was like, oh my God, this is the best movie I've seen this year and stuff. And I'm just like... How can a cheesy Schwarzer loan movie be that amazing? And then, yeah, of course, once I read about it and you told me more, I could not wait to jump into it. So, uh, yes, I am very grateful for uh, for you stumbling upon that. So uh, what was it that actually inspired you to watch it? Like what? Uh... Oh, the wonder of movie podcasts. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I was listening to Film Feast who... Um, every year do best discoveries of the year episodes. And so uh, at the end of the year, last year, I was listening to their one from their 2022 favorites. And one of the guys said prisoners mm. and started talking about it, saying how intense it was and stressful mm. and Hugh Jackman's in it playing like a father sort of kind of going after someone that he thinks abducted his daughter or whatever. And I was just like, Oh, that's pretty dark for Hugh Jackman. Cause I mm. think of, you know, greatest showman and Kate and Leopold and things like mm, that. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't really seen him <laughs> be really intense. Mm. And so I put it on my watch list straight away and, you know, got distracted by Christmas and work and stuff. And then I was just going through my watch list the other week and went, Oh yeah, that's that movie. I'm really curious. So I rented it and watched it and, had no idea it was going to become an all-time favourite. It was just 
captivating from yeah. start to finish. And oh, not just because of Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie, who mm. I had never been a huge fan of, but I think that's going to change now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, the last time I ever saw Hugh Jackman uh, that intense was when he was in a camping supply store. <laughs> intense. Uh, anyway, all right, so moving on. <laughs> I'm not editing that Preparing out. Preparing your care. dad jokes. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, I'm qualified now. Uh, also, for anyone who did actually listen to our last podcast episode, I do want to take a moment to apologize for the audio quality from my end. Um, I had some kind of technical hiccup. I cleaned it up as best as I could, but it was nowhere near the quality that I strive for. And I was completely showed up by the consummate professional that is Frankie. <laughs> Um, so yes, we're back to uh, me sounding normal now for whatever lack of a better word. Um, so yeah, look, this movie, uh, yeah, it is about two families who come together on Thanksgiving dinner and their respective daughters, uh, go missing really young girls. Um, they're, uh, so yeah, we've got, uh, Hugh Jackman and, uh, Maria Bello. Yeah, as one couple and Terrence Howard and Viola Davis uh, as the other couple. Meanwhile, Paul Dano plays this kind of weird, creepy guy who initially you think, oh, he did it, he did it, uh, because he was driving around in an RV, which the girls were playing near. So, of course, you know, naturally, it must be him. Um, so, of course, uh, yeah, the girls go missing. The families go absolutely berserk trying to find their kids. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Detective David Loki, arguably the coolest name for a detective in the history of cinema. Um, uh, yeah, he's assigned to the case and yeah, basically it becomes this big complex weave of um, mystery and suspense and tension and red herrings this has more red herrings than the seattle fish market um it was just fascinating from start to finish now um we're gonna really get into this we're gonna absolutely analyze this film we're gonna you know go into a lot of uh frankie's actually done a lot more research than i have what, what sort of well, things have you been looking at i mean I wouldn't call it a lot of research. I, I watched a, a few short um, interview things on YouTube and then a half hour one with Jake Gyllenhaal this morning, which was pretty amazing. But that that's my research. I just watched a few interviews. Yeah, which right now people are going a half, committing to a half hour interview for, you know, a movie discussion. That's a lot of research. Oh, that that was a, one of the best interviews I've ever watched because yeah. it was so focused on his character and the movie mm -hmm. that yeah it didn't feel like half an hour right right and that's right. not a lot of research well you did more than i did that's for sure <laughs> um so yeah we both have just uh sat down and rewatched it right before recording this and so um i mean i guess we'll, we'll kind of go through the film from start to finish so for me one of the things that really grabbed me the first time i watched it and i kind of forgot about because you know, the rest of the film was just so mind-blowing, um, was that very opening shot with the deer, uh, which obviously was an incredibly brilliant CGI deer, unless 
they train you know a deer to act like messy from anatomy of a fall but yeah i don't think so um like that that shocked me when i first saw it you know and it, it disturbed me a little bit you know because I mean, you know, you don't want to see a deer getting shot in the head. Like, you know, that was kind of horrible to watch. And upon the second viewing now, I realized that that was the most perfect way to establish the tone of the film. Because, you know, it is a film about, uh, you know, getting, you know, getting rattled and, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, the, the, the taking of innocence as well. Um, I thought it kind of, you know, set that up because of course, later on, you know, the girls get abducted, um, you know, and you, you sort of, as I mean, there are going to be spoilers in this podcast, obviously. So the more you find out about the perpetrators and how they've murdered children and everything, you know, the whole movie is about, well one of the things it's about is the taking of innocence and the loss of innocence and so yeah i i really thought that opening shot set the scene so well what did you think hmm. yeah it, it was weird because it's so beautiful and the trees and, and trees mm. obviously are a theme throughout the whole movie including the final scene which i'll mention mm-hmm. something that I never even paid attention to, but anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, I do not like seeing animals killed in film, so mm. that that was not the best. But you know, yeah, yeah. it was the start, so I was like, okay, see see where it's going, and it mm. very quickly gets into the story after that. Yeah, yeah. But there's also you know because obviously they don't just kill it for fun or whatever. It, it is mm. for actual meat, like they are hunting and stuff, and so. Yeah, it does set up Hugh Jackman's character, who's like the sort of survivalist guy. Yes, Preparing for everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, it it also kind of, yeah, touched on... Because one of the biggest themes in the film, I thought, as well, was... I mean, there it was this grey area between right and wrong. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, of course, you know, when when they... kidnap alex jones played by paul dano after they are so sure well you know after uh, hugh jackman's character is so sure that he did it um you know what he does to him and everything you kind of like oh man whose side am i on you know and so yeah it was cool with that opening thing because you know yes it's horrible that they killed a deer but there is a reason behind it and when you look into it like every character in this film had a reason for what they were doing even you know even the killers had reasons for what they were doing you know like you don't sympathize with them at all but there were reasons um yeah just, i mean oh man this film is so complex and yeah i, I just love that about it it was um, it was really deep and it also uh i love how there was so many times in the film where rain played into it to set the tone you know like to make things that much gloomier um, oh yeah well that uh, jake mentioned that in the interview that 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 was on purpose when there yeah. were sunny days they filmed interior scenes oh okay right right because i did notice that it was genuinely raining in those shots like that mm. wasn't just you know i mean especially towards the end when he's driving in the rain i'm thinking to myself there's no way they've got a rain truck you know, driving <laughs> along like you know blasting well, at the, the beginning sky. too when they're running around the streets looking for the girls exactly yeah that was that was real and i just thought yeah brilliant job um all the production design in this film was 
oh my god it th this is really a case where production design sets the mood so goddamn well um you know you look at the apartment building that uh that keller used to you know or still owns you know where he um kidnaps alex and brings him and tortures him um you know the walls are just all decrepit and and you know paint peeling off everywhere and it just looks shitty like um just look at everything in this film every single frame in the film there's so much attention to detail um in terms of dirtying things up or rusting or whatever um, and even to how everything's shot like the number mm -hmm. of scenes that i just kind of you know just thought that looks really cool like where the camera is like there's a scene where the forensic guys are going over the rv mm -hmm. And so it just opens and Loki's crouching, talking to the guy and the camera's mm. just in the distance, but lower down Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. sits there while they film the mm. scene. And I'm like, that's an interesting angle that mm -hmm. you don't normally get. And then it just stays there. And there's a few different shots where they've just, you know, the, the way they decided to shoot it mm. just was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. This, Cause I mean, this film, that was, um, Cinematography was the only Oscar that it was nominated for, wasn't it? Um, I'm pretty sure it was cinematography, uh, which, yeah, by the amazing Roger Deakins. Um, and that is just wrong. I mean, God, this... And, you know, even those reviews that we're watching by Chris Stuckman, Jeremy Giles, like, they're all going on about like oh my god you know hugh jackman's gonna get nominated for oscars and everyone's gonna get nominated for oscars and yeah it never happened like i just don't understand how yeah that this... really surprises me especially for hugh jackman because mm. you know he had some really intense scenes oh my god did he ever i mean yeah and and he was believable you know but it, it just added so much reality to his character the way mm. especially uh the, the, the scene when they think that uh, their daughter Anna is dead and uh, the son, uh, was it Ralph, I believe it was? Look, either way, that was a missed opportunity to name him Ben because, I mean, you know, the family, the surname is Dover. So I'm going to call him Ben. Um, so Ben's sitting in the room, in, in the girl's room. <laughs> I'm sorry. And... Um, you know keller comes in and and is like you know don't you say anything to your mother and stuff and the kid you know accuses him of drinking and everything and jackman just fucking grabs him by the collar slams him against the wall and the way he says shut up you know it's mm. like whoa man that's fucking insane um but it was genuine you know and um i really love how detective loki was the polar opposite he was mm. so calm and especially the scenes when Hugh Jackman's going bananas and, you know, like when they're in Loki's car after he's, you know, sort of caught him near the liquor store and stuff and Jackman's just absolutely banging on the dashboard and everything and, you know, Loki's just like, hey, 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 hey. You know? <laughs> it's like, man, I love this character. You know, he never loses his cool. He is just, he was Brad Pitt from Bullet Train. He was like, you know, just... What's really so cool. interesting, because, um, you know, there's like one line of backstory for that character in the mm. whole movie where he talks about being in, in that boy's home. Yeah. And that was the only line in the script. So Jake and Denise sat there and like worked really intensely on this full backstory for him that mm. no one knows except them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And they, they just went with that. And so, you know, it's all a 
you know, like a control thing. Like, you know, he has his shirt buttoned up and he's mm. hiding his tattoos and all of that. So that's his thing to be. But yeah, it's really interesting that he's just always, well, apart from that one scene, but he's mm. generally always super calm and especially oh, when he's yeah. talking to people. I loved it. I yeah, you can. I mean, aside from the attention to detail in what we saw on screen, you can tell that every actor, you know, put attention to detail in their characters as well and the portrayal of them because, like, they they clearly knew who these people were and the way that they all interacted together. Like, you know, the scene where um, uh, the Kellers and the Birches, uh, you know, are in, you know, and and you know terence howard gets the trumpet out and everything like it seemed so real you know it was just very mm. believable um everything like it really is a perfect film i know you and i we both can't fault this thing um i thought like all the exposition was natural as well you know there was the only thing that was borderline but uh, in the end i was like nah it's cool um is at the end when uh aunt holly jones you know is um taking keller out you know towards the trans am towards the pit in the ground and she's just kind of like you know explaining like you know why why they did everything and stuff i kind of thought would she do that in that situation but it was nothing yeah i mean that probably was a bit typical that the killer expects to kill the person so they tell them all this stuff yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) but look it wasn't anything that detracted from the scene like for me because i didn't even notice it the first time the first Mm -hmm. time i was like ah so that's why she's doing it and how it all happened and everything whereas the second time around i was kind of like would she be saying that ah whatever you know you you get a pass so like that is literally the only thing as far as the dialogue goes that i thought you know maybe didn't seem plausible or realistic but um every single line in the film was just beautifully crafted um i love and there was a um in some cases a fair bit of improv too that came out um apparently there was but whatever they were filming on, they could just leave it running. So they'd just leave a scene for like 10 to 15 minutes wow. and they'd just improv stuff. And so they did that in the interrogation scene. Oh, yeah. And also Jake Gyllenhaal watched like hours of interrogations prepping and there was apparently one five-hour one that he really liked and he noticed that the detective over time would end up getting closer and closer to the guy. Mm-hmm. And so he used that as a thing because obviously in the scene, he's like right up against Alex at the wall mm, and yeah. just not being aggressive, but just being right there. I know. And how brilliant was Paul Dano's reaction? Like, you know, the way he just sort of had his head turned and was like, you know, mm-hmm. don't touch me. Like, there, oh man. He, yeah. yeah. He likes improv too. I think it was mainly him, Jake and Hugh. Right, um, right. That, that did a bunch of improv. Yeah. He's like, I don't want it to sound like that because it's, you know, you have to do improv in the right way and not mm. all actors sometimes, Denny would just be like, no. Mm-hmm. But I guess they knew their characters enough to just kind of think like them and just go mm. with it. And so, yeah, some things worked for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I loved all of that stuff so much. But Oh, there, there's a, a Hugh thing too. Oh, yeah? um, the scene where he's looking at the photos to see if he can identify mm-hmm. any of the clothing. Apparently mm-hmm. it was in the script 
that he got really angry and threw Loki against a wall and was like strangling him and saying, this is your fault. Yeah. But then Hugh came on set and went, no, I don't think Mm. that's right. And because he's so physical with Alex. And Mm -hmm. so then he did it the way in the film where it's just like, he's just says the words and then just walks away. Oh, the way he does that, the way he Mm. taps those pictures and says, you know, if you weren't wasting your time following me, and everything you would have found, you know, this is on you, and then just gets up and walks. That that was uh, not chilling, but yeah, really, really deep, and yeah, so powerful. Um, and yeah, that is a case of less is more. Like um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it off to a very weird comparison, but it was um, for me one of my favorite lines of dialogue in The Empire Strikes Back is when. Vader is leaving Cloud City and, you know, um, Luke has escaped him and everyone's basically, you know, he's basically screwed everything up. He's just walking down this corridor and in the original version, he just says, bring my shuttle. And it's just like, whoa, this guy is fucking pissed off. In the special editions, there was this whole redub line where he's like, you know, alert my Star Destroyer and bring my shuttle to come and pick me up and don't forget we've got to get milk on the way. I don't know, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but, and it just lost the intensity. You know, this is what I mean. Like, yeah, if they did have Hugh Jackman doing all of that, it would have been so over the top and nowhere near as powerful. So uh, I think the whole film really benefited from less is more in a lot of ways, didn't it? Because it was a very subtle film. Like, even the build-up of tension was subtle. You know, there was so many scenes that, you know, kind of took their time to say what they needed to say, but it never once felt boring. It never outstayed its welcome. I thought the editing was actually superlative. And watching it today, I kind of realized, because you know how I said to you that this film could creep its way into my top 10 films of all time? Like, I'll have to give it time, you know, but... I, I kind of, yeah, to me, there are a lot of parallels between that and my number two most favorite movie of all time, which is Seven. Um, not just because it's a detective film or whatever, but, um, you know, you've got this race against time. You've got the slow buildup of tension. You've got moments that borderline horror. Um, you know, like when, when Loki's down in that basement of the priest's house, or, or you know, and he's looking around and everything and like and then when he finds the corpse on the ground and everything like you know that was really creepy you know that was yeah that's the scene i noted because i noted when the the score came in and and really added Mm -hmm. and uh it did that when they're approaching the rv at the at the beginning but Mm -hmm. then when he goes like i noted like i love his reaction when he moves the fridge and he kind of leans into the gap and then his reaction mm. when the smell hits. Mm. So then when he goes down there and then he freaks out because the torch goes on the statues. Yeah. And then you just know that because he reacted to the obvious smell hitting him, you know he's mm. going to find something disturbing there and mm. you're just waiting and the score kind of comes in at that part. And so there's just, because, you know, it's drawn out a bit that he's walking around looking yeah. before he finds the body there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so yeah, there, there was a lot of, you know, I mean, and, and again, you know, there were uh, the, the use of rain to uh, invoke a mood. Um, 
or evoke a mood, I should say. Uh, you know, th there were a lot of things, and I think that's the reason why I am, you know, loving this film so much. Is because... And the lighting as well. Yeah, Because there's yeah, a yeah. lot of nighttime scenes and just, mm. yeah, and like when um, <laughs> David Dalmatian comes along as, yes! as if you know Ooh. us. We just give people names sometimes. I was yeah. messaging Dan one day and I couldn't remember what his actual last name was because I didn't just have it handy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I just said Dalmatian, Dan knew who I was talking about and so it kind of sticks because yeah. I keep forgetting to remember exactly. what it actually is. But yeah. the scene where he takes off from the candlelight vigil mm. and then Loki runs across the, or walks across the road and is just mm. looking over the yards for him and then mm -hmm. just the light sensor light comes on at the house as he's running mm. across and just there's a sound when that happens as well that just yeah, adds yeah. to the whole thing and then he just kind of runs like a normal guy rather than a mm. you know super cop yeah which i yeah. thought was interesting and he didn't jump up straight away when mm. he got knocked over and he just reminded me actually like oh man i think i'm gonna do an entire podcast episode on the parallels between this film and seven because in seven <laughs> there's the bit where somerset and mills go to John Doe's apartment, you know, John Doe's down the hallway, of course, and then, you know, Brad Pitt chases after him, and um, in the end, John Doe gets the drop on him by jumping from the top of a truck uh, and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's probably more than I realize that is similar with this film than, um, uh, than Seven. But anyway, um, that is for a whole other episode. But um, um, yeah, but look, you know, as far as like, the the desperation and stuff in the film i mean like it's something i guess also that i can relate to because i don't know if you remember a couple of years ago i i was in this exact situation um remember if you recall there was one afternoon where i messaged you that my cat had gone missing and oh god this is so painful to go back to but she was missing for a whole seven hours and you know when I watch when I watch this movie, it just brings back memories of when poor little Harley went under the fence and into the complex next door for seven whole hours. So yeah, I, I maybe that's another reason why this movie just you know taps into me. But you are giving me that look right now. Okay, <laughs> tell you what, if you if you'd had Detective Loki show up to help you oh. find your cat, I would have done anything to get down to your place. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I would have been just like, you know, pacing around as, you know, find my cat! God damn it, where's my cat? And then he would have been like, hey, 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 just get a bag of biscuits, go and shake him around, we'll, we'll find the cat. I'm, I'm going to find your cat. And yeah, she wouldn't have been gone for seven hours. He would have found her in no time, I reckon. So yeah, yeah. man, this, this world needs more Detective Lokis. But anyway, um, now there's... Uh, something else that i picked up on this time around um that got me thinking now this is not a flaw in the film this is not a criticism but it's obviously something that man it leaves it open for like a whole big discussion so you've got keller dover he's sitting out in the car when he's you know after alex jones has been acquitted and you know sent off alex comes out with his poor little dog who he, you know, picks up by the freaking neck. Like the, oh my God, talk about animal cruelty in this film. And talk about getting what you deserved, Alex Jones. Um, 
So, of course, he's then walking along and he's singing, you know, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. Ironic because later he'd become the Riddler. Um, but <laughs> now we need a crossover <laughs> between these two films. Um, that, that made me think this time around. Okay, so initially, you know, you sort of think, okay, the girls were abducted by force. They were, you know, maybe grabbed, hands over the mouths, taken into the RV, which... I love that red herring as well, by the way, when they clean the RV, the forensic team, and don't find a single thing. And it's like, mm. oh, okay, so it wasn't the RV. But then later on, it's revealed that, it, yes, it was. But um, so you'd sort of think that they were taken by force. But if Alex Jones knows that song, there's got to be a reason why he's heard it, which makes me think that the girls were enticed into the RV, you know, with... I don't know, food, toys, whatever, or something. And they actually, uh, you know, were friendly to them and stuff. And the girls sang that song and stuff. So, yeah, like, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought, that because he, you know, is like a 10-year-old sort of, mm. then he probably just was like, oh, some kids to hang out with. And, was yeah. having, and because they were so interested in the RV, so of course he would have mm. been like, hey, check this out. And they would have mm. been fine hanging out until, you know, they couldn't leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's what I mean. Like, that just... But I did also think at that stage on my first watch, I was like, does he really have the IQ of a 10-year-old? Like, I guess they must mm. have looked up records or something, but I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking he just got interrogated and let go and you know does he really or was he just acting is he involved because of the Actually, dog thing no he really does if you look towards the end uh when loki is sitting in oh where was he was it the hospital and he's got a newspaper which is mm. revealed that alex jones where if you <laughs> yeah okay so i paused it and read the article <laughs> um and yeah it says something about how uh alex jones was like you know pump full of like uh psycho psycho drugs and stuff you know when he was a kid and it messed him up and like yeah he really was afflicted because uh, um, i did wonder like like obviously something happened to him when he got mm. abducted but i was wondering like what it was but i didn't think but of course because you know they're drugging them all so yeah, yeah 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 exactly which is why they had um, to rush the girl to the hospital to yeah yeah but but I, I just thought that was fascinating that you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, show, don't tell, which is the number one rule of screenwriting. Like, this is an extreme case. This is like, you know, just giving you this little clue of, of what may have happened, but then you just develop it in your head yourself. The the interview I was watching, the, the interviewer mentioned there was some screenwriter hmm. who apparently was quite angry that Loki had tattoos and they kept them covered and never explained anything about them. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there are. I mean, look, there are obviously times in films that you do want things explained a bit more. But it's but... just like a character thing. It has nothing yeah. to do with the story, and exactly. that's the point too. Is that mm -hmm. Loki is a mysterious character? Mm. We get that one line of backstory, and that's all we know. Oh, and yeah. that you know he doesn't have anyone because he was in the Chinese restaurant on his own on mm. Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of all that you have, and that's the point. Mm. Well, even later on, his captain says to him, um, uh, you know, to let the case go, you know, go find himself a girl mm. and, you know, uh, like live happily ever after, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so no, I thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, on the subject of, of Alex Jones, though, like I still, that moment where, you know, he's, he's, captured in the in that crappy you know apartment bathroom and everything and um nancy played by viola davis comes in and lifts the bag off his head that still shocks me that is that was another one of those scenes because she's slowly lifting it up and then when she takes it off you can't see him because it's, you see it's her blocked reaction. by the sink yeah yeah and then it cuts to her reaction and then mm. it shows you what she's looking at because at first, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, "Ooh, are we actually going to see it, or are they going to be that mysterious that they leave it vague?" Which honestly, I would have actually been fine with, like, because it's that thing of you see someone's extreme reaction, and you think, "Oh my god, how bad is it?" And then you know, you, you, your brain always comes up with something even worse. Um, but no, that was insane, and how this movie did not get a nomination for best makeup at the Oscars that year is beyond me because that it's it not, did not... win awards for that at other awards though yeah and i think yeah, that's true. the only thing that it won awards for in any awards it was nominated mm. for other things but i think only the hair and makeup got it yeah right um but because not only was it extremely good makeup but you know it really made you feel something and by then you just i mean that's what i mean about this whole duality of the film is that you know you 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 start feeling really sorry for for Alex Jones, and of course by then you're like, well, holy shit, did he do it or didn't he do it? And you even kind of thinking, especially when David Dalmatian comes into it, mm. um, you're like, oh my god, no, he didn't have anything to do with it. But then by the end of it, you realize he kind of did. Like, yeah, it's that uh, thing of he was involved, but because of his like issues and mm. everything, like you can't really say he was responsible. Mm. And then I always wondered too, like why he never tried to talk or say anything like that. Yeah. His aunt had such a hold on him that he wouldn't say, I thought it was interesting mm. watching back when Loki goes around to the house after Keller said that he said the line at the car park mm -hmm. and yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to him. And then I just thought it was really funny that he's, said about the aunt and was like oh you you don't want to hurt her or her to be you charged don't want to go to jail or whatever and, and he just but, yeah. kind of looks and with all the knowledge you're like is he thinking oh but i kind of do and then yeah, he's like yeah. um said something else and it's like he kind of went oh that's right i don't i have to say i don't want that and so mm. then he's like no yeah, yeah oh no i think he says you love your aunt don't you and he kind of doesn't say anything and then he says about you wouldn't want her to go to jail and then he says no oh okay oh i'm maybe i miss her i thought he said you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to go to jail and like implying her to be alone but uh, either way like it doesn't really matter but um yeah i know what you mean like that alex jones was such a fascinating character <laughs> not just the way that the plot you know tricked you and stuff like that but just everything about him and yeah the fact that he was tortured beyond belief in that like what what keller did to him was horrible mm. um 
but he never talked, you know, until like towards the end where he started mentioning about the maze. But even then he didn't say <laughs> anything like they're at the house, like just like get me out of here. They're at the house. Mm. Like, um, so, yeah, no, that was really, really fascinating. Um, and it was also fascinating and it took me by absolute surprise the first time I watched it um, when, uh, you know, when he's, he's just, you know, strapped up there and everything and um nancy undoes his wrists you know the ropes on his wrists or whatever and he's just like you know help me but then of course he attacks her gets up smashes the window grabs a shard of glass and starts attacking people and it's just like what is going on with this guy like he's just had the beating of a lifetime he's you know barely able to stand and yet he musters up that that you know uh, adrenaline to do that, which was yeah, kind of a, a shocking moment. Um, like yeah, did that just completely take you by surprise when you first watched it? Yeah, and it's that whole because you know at the on the first watch, I can't remember when it ended, but there was you know a good part of the film where I was like, does he have anything to do with it, or is mm. he completely innocent and having all this horrible stuff happen? Yeah. And so yeah, when that happened, but then of course afterwards you're like, no, he just is totally freaking out and has a chance to escape. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now of course the big question is, if you were in that situation, would you go to lengths like Hugh Jackman did? You know, like I mean. Because that, that, that movie does make you think, doesn't it? You know, if because obviously Keller totally believed and, and he was right. I mean, Alex did know where the girls were, you know, he was actually right. Um, and you, you just kind of think to yourself, like, would I do like, you know, if my cat was kidnapped and, you know, held somewhere, you know, would I go to those lengths? And yeah, I probably would. I don't know. Like, how about you? <laughs> No, I couldn't. Yeah. I don't I, yeah. I don't. I mean, it's it's one of those things you can't say for sure, but I'm yeah. so not a violent person that I can't no. imagine it coming out of nowhere and, and happening. And then mm. the the guilt would be so much, especially if it was a situation like this where he mm. wasn't in the end. But even like Hugh Jackman, you know, is like a religious guy and then mm. by the later on in the end he's like reciting the lord's prayer but he stumbles because he can't say as we forgive others because mm. he's oh, not forgiving yeah, yeah. and so he can't get the word forgive out and I he tries a couple of times yeah, yeah 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 that's a good point um i mean i guess it's hard to tell if you don't have kids and you're not a parent and stuff um mm. but yeah i don't know it's 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 a tough call because if you knew that somebody was guilty of something and you were that desperate. I mean, But I then know. you get your kid back and you're going to jail because you were a terrible person. Yeah, but you got your kid back. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, in this case, he would have got his kid back anyway. Like he Oh, didn't... but he didn't know. So, yeah. yeah. 
It's a, it's this is what I mean. This is this whole movie is you know what is right, what is wrong, who is good, who is evil. Everybody mm. has a reason for why they do things. Um, but look, if you guys listening to this, uh, yeah, what 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 are your thoughts on this? Find us on the socials. Google Dan and Frankie go to Hollywood, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Or you can email us at Dan and Frankie Podcast at either Outlook or Gmail dot com. We have two email addresses now because we have just been trying to keep up with the inundation of emails that have been flooding in from you guys and yeah let's go with that um yeah would you guys do what what keller dover did would you if you had kids and they went missing or a cat um yeah did did he do the right thing um but it's also i guess another thing is you know like the movie really touched on what motivates people to do cruel things. Um, so, you know, you got in the case of Keller Dover, um, his daughter's gone missing. He's sure that Alex Jones has done it. So that's motivated him to do cruel things. Um, Holly Jones and her deceased husband, Isaac, uh, they had a war against God because they lost a kid to cancer. And so if they can't have a kid, no one else can, which I thought was fascinating um but the one thing that i was really thinking about the second time i watched it um so bob taylor played by david dalmatian brilliantly why did he do the things he did you know i'm sitting there i'm like well hang on a second because you know this dude was going around grabbing the items of clothing from the respective houses covering them in pigs blood, going and buying children's clothes and then he had like the mannequins I, in the yard didn't they and say though that he he had been abducted he and had so been. it was kind of like he was wanting to sort of keep it going so he was doing it so he was getting the mannequins getting the mm. clothes putting the pig's blood on and yeah. then i imagine it's just because this became a big news story then mm. he's like oh i will go and get their clothes to put in my collection. Yeah, I yeah. don't know what the snakes had to do with uh, anything. That was Although because... I know uh, I didn't look into it, but the interviewer in the thing I was watching mentioned that apparently there's some historical thing with Loki and snakes. Oh, okay. Well, they did also mention that Isaac, uh, the, the deceased father who was in the priest's basement, um, used to keep snakes. So there was that. Okay, so maybe um, he just got into having snakes yeah well. yeah yeah um but yeah the, the it was the sort of thing i was kind of thinking like ah oh, bobby taylor well okay what are you doing here because the i mean it, it is a very complex film and the first time i watched it i kind of brushed over that and you know it didn't i just kind of thought like oh is he trying to you know frame himself to take the weight off you know his former you know family so to speak um but no i i looked into it and there was an interesting discussion on reddit that i was looking into and it went really deep into the whole mazes thing as well you know because um there was that thing when he was abducted and you know there's the whole thing of uh you know if you finish the mazes you can go but uh it's revealed that you know the final maze is unfinishable you know just to mess with the kids or whatever but for whatever reason however bobby taylor managed to escape or or you know was set free or anything like that um i think yeah the reason why that he had all those mazes on his walls which 
was seriously goddamn creepy. Like, yeah. my God, that is the sign of a twisted mind. Um, was the, yeah, because, you know, the, the film title, Prisoners, you know, everyone in this film is a prisoner in a way of something. And so mm. he was, his prison was that he was still there. He was still that abducted kid who couldn't finish the maze. And so, yeah, that was, you know, made it pretty clear as to why he was doing what he was doing. But, um, you know, I mean, that was just another big red herring as well. Like, the, you know, everything from when Loki goes down into the Dover's basement and he sees the half bag of lye. And, you know, it's like, ooh, what's that all about? It was just because their dog died last year. You know? yeah. Um, but, yeah, there were so many um red herrings and stuff but um but what you're saying with the snakes though how freaking cool was loki in that scene <laughs> when he's banging open the boxes the first time he's just like whoa shit snakes i mean wouldn't you just run the hell out of there <laughs> like, you know? or close it before you yeah. go to the next one but he just leaves them all open so all the snakes can roam free he's fucking walking around like banging these boxes open getting evidence out and stuff well what he thinks is evidence and the snakes are just going over his feet and stuff like my god this guy seriously that's that the whole scene i I loved that scene like when he knocks on the door and the interaction between the two of them and how yeah. he's just all smiling and like why did you run away from me yeah and then yeah. just at one point he just suddenly his face just goes all like blank and serious mm, it was yeah. such a cool scene and then oh, bangs man. the door and shoves him on the wall and all that yeah yeah i the, the way that dalmatian played that role was yeah. Again, so believable. Desperate chin, I know. Um, (laughs) Was so believable. Like, everyone, yeah, like I said before, was just so real in this thing. Um, And even things like um, when Bob Taylor commits suicide in the, the, Mm. you know, interrogation room. God, that looked real. Like, I've, you know, I have actually seen that, like, videos of people blowing their heads off in real life. And I can tell you that was so realistic. Even the way that his body hit the floor and slumped and everything, just it looked real. Um, it, it shocked me, you know, because it, yeah, it kind of reminded me of the stuff that I've seen in the past. Like, um, that's disturbing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's like a lot of <laughs> movies that show that they like cut away at the last moment and will just show mm. like the blood hitting the wall or something. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. was just like fully front on uh, him the, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it was shocking. That's what I mean. There were a lot of shock moments in the film uh, that were, you know, kind of. Uh, when I say subtle, I don't mean. I mean, you know, watching someone put a freaking gun in their mouth and eat a bullet isn't subtle but um just in terms of of reflecting on the plot like you know the taking the bag off alex's head or you know things like that like you know there were there were shocking moments but they were just so freaking well done um and so what what were your thoughts on the revelation when holly was revealed as the killer like that whole scene um how much did you absolutely love that yeah that was so good i can't i don't think i even thought of her until Mm. they made it obvious like i just didn't expect it Mm -hmm. and yeah that was really good and melissa leo was so good playing 
Oh, she's that brilliant. Role. Yeah, especially the duality. Well, again, duality. Like, you know, she, for most of the movie, seems quite pleasant and everything. But when she reveals that she didn't burn her hand and she has a gun under that towel. And like, like, I knew she didn't burn her hand, but I was not expecting right. her to pull out a gun. But it was yeah, just, you know, yeah. she comes with her hand covered to the door. You're like, mm. oh, yeah, something's going on. Right, but, yeah, right. I didn't expect it to be that she was going to pull out a gun. Mm. Yeah, but, oh, man, she turned nasty but in a really subtle way like you know she was evil she was mm. one of the most evil characters i've seen in a film what's in really a long funny time. i was watching a behind the scenes video that was mm-hmm. just showing all different things being filmed mm-hmm. and there was a scene in that where it was just showing her and Hugh Jackman talking between takes in the car oh, park right. scene. Yeah. And they're just like standing there laughing and having a good time. And <laughs> it was just so weird to see her just laughing and just being normal because oh, yeah, yeah. of that character. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, if, if I may interject with an anecdote, um, there was one time I got cast in a short film as a drunken, abusive dad. Um, and the whole scene revolved around my kid who was played by this brilliant little child actor. No idea what his name was because this is going back to, I think, 2009. Um, and it was a really dark, intense film. Like, I mean, you know, I had to act really menacing, you know, because <laughs> you know, I was this drunk, abusive dad who, you know, was about to beat the shit out of his kid and all this. Like, it was really full on subject matter. As soon as the director yelled cut, me and this kid got along so well. And, you know, this was around, so this was 2009. Like, you know, it had only been like a couple of years since the first Transformers film came out. And this kid was obsessed with Transformers. And so we were just laughing and joking and talking about Transformers and, you know, all this sort of st- stuff. And then, you know, as soon as they were like, you know, okay, you know, everybody get ready and action. It'd be like, you little fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I guess kind of the same sort of thing, you know. And I always love that, you know, in in acting like you know performers can do that just snap into a character and be like that um so yeah i'll have to watch all this stuff that you're talking about oh yeah i'll send you links i sent you a couple because there was an interview Mm -hmm. i sent you just one of the short ones with hugh and jake and they kind of were doing a bit you know about how hard it was to work with each other and all of that so (laughs) that's always fun (laughs) yeah 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 um but uh, but back to back to um, Aunt Holly and how fucking disturbing she was. Um, that scene where you know Loki turns up to the house at the end, and you know you're sort of wondering, oh, what's going to happen? And then you just see Holly, you know, going into a room, like unlocking a door and going into a room, and you you sort of thinking, well, where's she going? You know, and then. Of course, you know, Loki enters the house and is calling out and there's no answer. And I love that moment as well when he looks at the photo of Isaac with the medallion. I was just going to mention that. I love his reaction when he just suddenly works out what's going on and he just has that look on his face and then he gets super serious looking around the room, figuring out where to go. That look on his face just said so much about oh my god the answer was right here all along you know because if he had seen that earlier on in the film like it would have changed things you know um i loved that moment but yeah then it's revealed that holly is in the room you know like with a needle at anna's arm with i i, I don't know what she was putting in her it's irrelevant i guess but 
Um, and, you know, you sort of think like, okay, Hollywood movie, Loki's going to come and save the day before Anna gets drugged. No. Mm. Like, she actually gets drugged and is about to die, you know, before Holly gets up and, you know, there's a brief gunfight and she gets killed. And also her line of dialogue about, you know, where she's just casually saying, you know, make sure they cremate me, don't bury me in a box and everything. It's like, that's disturbing. Mm. Like, that was one of the most disturbing scenes in the film, I thought. You know, the fact that this film just just delivered from start to finish like that. Um, and then Loki gets shot in the head and so you see the little blood spatter on the wall behind. Yeah, and, and you're thinking, oh no, but, you know, obviously it was just a graze, but, too, I mean, bad enough that he could barely see, you know. Yeah, um, well then, I mean, that's the whole driving scene then that you mm, just kind of think, oh, he's wiping the blood off his face, you know, it's, it's fine. But then as it goes along, you realise how bad it is that mm, the, he starts losing his vision and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know, I don't know if you saw in any of the interview stuff that you saw, when he gets out of the car and slips on the ice and falls mm. on his ass, like when he, you know, delivers Anna to the emergency room, was, do you know if that was actually real or? Uh, I don't know. I wondered that when I watched it, cause I'm like, was he just, you know, off balance? Cause that was the thing. And mm. then he slipped or, I mean, it, it could be either way. It could have just happened and they just went with it. Cause it was a good scene. He did say that that's, um, was the hardest scene that he'd done in his career. Oh, and really? I think partly because the character of Loki was, you know, like a little bit jealous sort of, of the whole thing of having the father that mm. loves their child so much. And so mm. he's all about saving the kids. Cause you know, he wants the families to not have the pain mm. that they've yeah, got yeah, with right. it. And cause you know, he never had the family or whatever. And he mm. said that he was also thinking about like people in his real life and stuff. So okay. he just said that was hard to film, but right. Yeah. yeah. But that but was I, such a gripping scene. Oh, was it ever? I do hope him falling on his ass like that was actually a happy accident that they caught on film. Cause that was brilliant. It just, I don't know. It just again, made the scene more realistic, you know? Um, mm. but, um, yeah. I mean, it does happen, like, in lots of things that mm. you'll hear. I mean, even in black books, I know there was a scene where Bernard walks around his desk and he trips over something and just keeps going. And when you listen mm. to it with the commentary, mm -hmm. you find out that wasn't meant to happen. Oh, but wow. He, he just tripped <laughs> as he was walking around. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's things like that that happen. And as long as everyone keeps going with the scene, it, it might end up staying in there. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I... Um, there was, there was one other thing that I noticed when, okay, so when Loki's in the hospital and he's reading the newspaper about how Alex Jones was reunited with his family after 26 years, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, I looked on the front page and on the bottom left, there's an article with a headline that says car crash sends two to hospital. And I sort of thought to myself, now, hang on, we've just seen this thing where Loki's been driving maniacally and, <laughs> you know, going through intersections where cars are just screeching and, you know, skidding around and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like, um, that happened twice. And then there was another sort of minor bit where he crosses lanes and someone beeps at him or whatever. But I paused and I actually read the article. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty vague. And, like, they did this thing, you know, just to sort of you know, fill in the paper. They actually just repeated that same text three times. <laughs> but 
It was just about a head-on collision that happened uh, between, I think, a teenage driver and an elderly driver or something. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like, oh, man, I hope it says something maybe about, you know, after a you know high-speed car, police car went through or something like that. It didn't, but... I'm willing to bet that it was related to that because <laughs> it said the crash happened the you know the previous night and I'm I'm just thinking to myself that is so cool. I mean honestly like yeah, what do you reckon? I mean it's got to be pertaining to I that. I did notice right? that headline and I did wonder if mm. because so you there's so many things in the movie that mean something. So yeah. I'm like they would have been thinking about what their headlines would be. I noticed on the other side they had one about strange happenings in cases or something mm. like that. I didn't actually pause it to properly look at it. Right, like you did. right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I got curious. But that's one thing that I learned in, I think, one of the film classes I once went to um, is that in a film, the, everything that you see on screen, the director wants you to see. Mm. You know, there's nothing to chance or whatever like uh so yeah i i reckon that it had something to do with that but um yeah but yeah i definitely need to send you this half hour interview i watched because yeah um, yeah jag talks a lot a lot about denny and his like decisions and mm. stuff for the film so yeah definitely all intentional things yeah right no i'm i'm very keen to see that yeah this film i Oh man, this was such a surprise. I never realized that this film was as good as it is. And um, yeah, I know like my friend Fraser Job, who is a very good friend of the show. Uh, he owned the Blu-ray for several years and had never watched it. And he watched it uh, earlier today. And oh my God, he's been raving about it. He's given it five stars on Letterboxd. Um, well, I figured that he would when when you told me that he said Hugh Jackman was his favorite actor working today. I was like, well, if you like Hugh Jackman that much, then you're gonna love his performance in this. Yeah, film. yeah. That was actually another thing though that um, uh, I was discussing with him earlier today that uh, I think is definitely worth bringing up. So he pointed me in the direction of an article online, and it was talking about how there was an alternate ending uh that was filmed do you know about that no okay so apparently they actually did film an ending where uh you know loki goes over and moves the car and rescues hugh jackman and you know rides off into the sunset with him so to speak um and then you know they they tested it or whatever and decided to go with the ending that we got um but the article kept referring to the one that we've seen as an ambiguous ending i yeah i i saw something about that and i'm like mm. it's it's not ambiguous i it, didn't think so it either. just it doesn't finish the thing but you know that yeah. loki's heard the sound and you know from what you've seen in the movie that he's not gonna give up till he figures out what that is so well, you know he's thing. gonna find him yeah 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 i i completely agree um so this article was on screen rant and yeah it's called why the alternate ending wasn't right for the film but um uh yeah it goes on you know like the original ending of prisoners is intentionally ambiguous fitting the movie's themes while the alternate ending would have provided clear-cut answers and i'm no. reading this and i'm just like no like, it would have just shown you what you know is already coming and you don't need to see because you know 
what's going to happen. Yeah, it yeah, wouldn't yeah. add anything. But yeah. I just, yeah, I really like the ending. And the other thing mm. I was going to say, because um, Jake Gyllenhaal said he didn't even think about it until he watched it, but right mm. at the end, not the very final scene, but just before that, before mm -hmm. he turns, so it's a shot of the back of his head, but there's a tree lit up behind him. So he oh, was like, right. so it ends with the tree just like the start. Ah, and I know there's a okay. there's like a scene when the trumpet playing is happening and there's mm. just a shot of the exterior, but it's yeah. like a tree's right there. Yeah, yeah. So there's like, yeah. So And then I, I started noticing then all the times that mm. it seemed to be focusing on tree shots. Right, because that one that you were just talking about with the trumpet, that's the moment that it's you know the girls, uh, there's something gone wrong because mm. uh, they've gone back to the house to get the red whistle and, yeah, it cuts to the outside of the Dover's house and it's focused on those trees and there's just that kind of ominous sound of music. Yeah. So that's the moment that you know that something's gone wrong. Um, but, yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about that with the, uh, oh, yeah, with I'm, the I'm not sure what all the tree meanings are, although mm. um, Jake did at once say, like, family tree, so I don't know if that's some kind of thing. Oh, okay, um, yeah. That's of interesting. how it all fits in, but who yeah. knows, because yeah, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that could mean things. <laughs> I'll tell you who knows. Dinas knows. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was ambiguous at all that ending no. like yeah this screen ran article says prisoners kept sorry prisoners keeps an ambiguous ending that allows the audience to to determine if loki rescued dover and what their interaction entailed prisoners alternate ending left nothing up to the imagination like no yeah. I, it's already revealed that um keller's gonna do time like they've talked about that well yeah probably. Well, you, you know that he will because i mean the he did a lot of harm to Alex. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah, I think the, yeah. Uh, Loki... Well, the, the thing is, like, because, you know, Loki's like, oh, did I hear something? And it's like mm. a few times. So, mm. you know, he definitely heard it. Mm. So, yeah, he, he definitely knows something's going on. I, yeah, you don't need to see mm. him discovering. Like, you, you know he's there. Yeah. So Absolutely. you know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I completely It wasn't agree. needed. And that was yeah. just a really cool thing to just end like that. Man, it's like I said in the last episode, like that ending, I, I was sitting there just thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if, because we don't need to see anymore, wouldn't it be cool if it just cut to black right now? And when it did... Yeah, I mean, I'm watching it at, what was it like? I don't know what time in the ungodly hour of the morning it was. But yeah, I threw my hands in the air, exclaimed, yes! And just, oh, it was the perfect ending to the perfect film. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm just so grateful that it is in our lives now. This mm. little movie. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, that's about oh, one other thing I did mention. Um, mm. Apparently, when Jake read the script, he had the thought of Loki having some kind of facial tick. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, sometimes when actors think of that, it's just a terrible idea. But he mentioned it to Danny, who was interested in it. And mm. he was doing a play at the time because he only had a week between the the show ending and filming starting mm -hmm. so he tested it out on a couple of his performances right doing right. it and yeah. yeah it became a thing mm -hmm. with the character <laughs> yeah no that was yeah that was really awesome and, and yeah again it just you know added some reality 
to the character you know mm. it wasn't just like a... and it was like a kind of went with the backstory mm. thing yeah um just yeah made mm. him so and i've never been so interested in a character i'm like i just want a whole like franchise of just like every movie that's it's another case that loki's working on you want the loki verse don't you yeah. <laughs> uh, the loki cinematic universe all right well you never know as mm. as grandma manning used to say um, and the the other thing jake mentioned um the interviewer was trying to say you know obviously box office success is like good but not not a way to tell if a movie's good mm. or whatever and and what he would do and he said that he's never received as many texts and emails from people about their response to the character and their oh, love of wow. the movie yeah, yeah so it seems like it was a big deal even though we missed it somehow in 2013 yeah. <laughs> i know look this is definitely a case of better late than never isn't it because mm. um yeah i watched this thing and i just could not believe that I'd never seen it before. More than that, I couldn't believe that it was a cheesy action film with Schwarzenegger and Stallone this whole time. Because um, well, lucky yeah. you got interested and looked at it and didn't just think that my new all-time favorite <laughs> and best movie of the year was Escape Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so. Um, I have to say that. too that mm -hmm. um, Denise films I've seen Dune and arrival mm -hmm. which i both really liked mm -hmm. i have seen enemy which i didn't like as much as a lot of people i gave it 3.5 stars right but i i really want to revisit it now because i i know it's a bit weird and it was mentioned too because of course um jake's in that as well mm. and said it you know the whole sort of cyclical 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 yeah um like Denny really wanted to do a film like that that you you know once it finishes it can start again and he said oh, you know yeah, any yeah. any way you can go in and just keep going mm. and I'm like I, I kind of I think too that there was a big thing that I heard about the film and it's one of those cases where you get told about something in a film and it doesn't happen till the end. So you mm -hmm. kind of spend the whole film waiting for this thing that's not till at the end. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to reevaluate that. But then I also want to see his other films now because mm -hmm. these ones I have seen have been so good. I mean, Sicario has been on my mm. radar for yeah, a long time yeah. anyway well but, here's yeah. here's the thing i i must admit i'm a little bit hit and miss with the works of young dinas um i i have seen sicario i actually own it for some reason uh i remember watching it and liking it i don't really remember it all that well um i wasn't a fan of arrival i didn't oh, arrival is a masterpiece Mm, yeah well you like christopher nolan as well but um <laughs> look no i went to the movies to see that i'm pretty sure there's a review of it on my channel movie talk with dan jensen uh and i was very ho-hum about it i um i was in awe at the cinema watching it yeah well you know um then again you didn't like interstellar so it's oh, like oh god no it's a weird kind of space. yeah Thing. um blade runner 2040 something nine five nine um i i actually didn't mind that one uh i thought it was a hell of a lot better than the first which i think is one of the most boring films of all time that is not something that i am going to be like 
oh, well, you know, it's okay just to appease all the mega legions of fans who love it. I think the original Blade Runner is a sedative. Um, so there you go. I said it. Um, Dune Part 1 I really liked, of course, mm. which was the first movie that you and I ever went to a premiere for. Um, and the first time we met in person. And the first time we met in person, and a day that you deeply regret. Um, <laughs> those are the only films of his that I've seen. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, I guess Arrival's the only one that I really wasn't a fan of. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, Sicario, I, I don't really remember it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. But anyway... Uh, and and this also will have me exploring Jake Gyllenhaal's filmography. And interesting, he's apparently super into um, like things that we don't know or don't see, and like the unknown and everything. And apparently, he got super obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe at an age that was not appropriate for oh, okay. having such a love of Edgar right, Allan Poe. Right. But I think maybe that's why some of his films sound interesting because I guess he's drawn, I mean, like Source Code I watched last night and that's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the unknown and repeating and yeah, yeah. stuff going on with like layers to things and stuff. So it seems to be a, an interest for him. Am I remembering correctly, was Prisoners based on an Edgar Allan Poe story? Um, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere, maybe it was on Wikipedia, that, um, not, not, I mean, obviously not directly, uh, based on, but, like, loosely based on, um, a, an Edgar Allan Poe tale. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Aaron... inspiration from a medley of real-life events, interviews, and crime stories. Aaron Guzikowski, who I'm assuming was the writer, yes he was, uh, wrote the script for the 2009 annual Blacklist and based on a short story he wrote involving a father whose kid was struck by a hit-and-run driver and then puts, uh, puts the guy in a well in his backyard. That short story was partially inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Uh, so there you go. That's there's a little bit of a link there with uh, with old Jakey Poo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, that's about all I've got to say about Prisoners, uh, which is pretty amazing. Being that for one film we've just talked over an hour, but uh, that's what we do. Did you uh, did you have any any oh final the things? the other thing too was that casting a, a younger detective was also um part of it like that mm -hmm. hugh jackman's character kind of doesn't trust him straight away yeah because, right, you know right. it's this young guys coming in mm. you know probably not a lot of experience to find his kid mm -hmm. so it kind of added yeah. to their d dynamic that mm. there was that going on but, yeah, you know, yeah. Also, probably because Hugh just like went off at him the first time they met. <laughs> so and then he was like, "Please calm down." There you go, people. If you're a fan of prisoners, do what Frankie does and go and watch lots of YouTube videos because there's some really interesting stuff out there. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm done. Are you done? That's everything I think I had to say. Brilliant. All right. Well. For everybody who has listened to this, um, thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, good on you for being a Prisoners fan. And well, we're assuming you are. If you are listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the film, um, there may be a problem there because we've just given away a lot of stuff. Oh, about well, the that's film. the other thing to mention is I 
have watched this sort of two and a half times now because mm-hmm. uh, I, I did have time left on my rental period the first time I saw it and I didn't have time to watch it again. So mm-hmm. I fast forwarded some bits right. and just watched the best bits. And then I watched it again today. And even when the mystery element is gone from the first watch and mm. you know exactly everything that's going to happen, it's mm. still so captivating. And I guess you can mm. appreciate more, like look for things and oh, just appreciate yeah. stuff more because your brain has less to do with the figuring out what's going on when mm. you know what's going on. And even the like the drive it to the hospital at the end that mm-hmm. had me on the edge of my seat the first time I watched it. And even now, knowing exactly what's going to happen and everything that's going on, it's still so gripping and it mm. still kind of gets the adrenaline going that he has to make this drive and not crash. And it's like, I yeah. worry he's going to crash every time I watch it, even <laughs> though I know that he doesn't. Well, that's like I was saying before, I noticed more the second time around and, and you know, had more questions in my head about things. And because um, the first time around is one of those experiences where, yeah, it just blows your mind and you just so captivated and and engrossed in what you're watching that um you don't really have a lot of time to process things too deeply but uh yeah that that second time around i was able to and especially because i was taking notes you know because i was writing down you know questions that i had and things like that but um yeah but i would still definitely recommend watching it before listening to this podcast episode though which, yeah well uh, i mean that that, that <laughs> should be fairly obvious we'll put it in the notes and everything yeah but, yeah yeah um, yeah, Although we if did you, say at the beginning we were going to spoil things. Yeah, if you have gotten to the end of this and you have never seen the film before, it's probably too late now, I'd say. <laughs> uh, but anyway. I don't um, think anyone would have. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. We hope you've had a fun time and enjoyed it. And yes, if you want to drop your thoughts and, and talk to us about, uh, about prisoners, uh, as I said before, you can find us on all the socials. Uh, if you Google Dan and Frankie goes to Hollywood or go to Hollywood, I should say, because there's two of us, um, you will be able to find us. It all pops up there. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Or you can email us at Dan and Frankie podcast at either Gmail or Outlook.com. Um, probably go to Gmail because Frankie will be dealing with those emails. And uh, yeah, that'll mean one less thing I need to do. So there you go. You're about to get flooded with emails, young lady. Anyway. Uh, All right. Well, we will be back for our next proper episode next Friday, uh, where we will be discussing uh, This is Spinal Tap and Brain Scan and Speed. It's our medical episode. It's our medical episode, um, yes. We somehow missed at the time that we announced the movies. I know, I know. We've got uh, (laughs) two procedures and a drug, so yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, yeah, that's going to be lots of fun. So, yeah, we will catch you then. Until next time, watch lots of movies, watch Prisoners again, and bye for now. (laughs) 